I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Welcome back to Oz Business, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the PM with the call. 60 minutes, 10 stocks you've suggested. I put it to an expert panel and we always have a lot to get through, particularly uh, with earnings season upon us. It is the truth or dare time for uh, Australia's listed companies. They report to its shareholders. I got to tell you, if you missed last night's boot camp, on how to interpret earnings seasons and earnings announcements that uh, uh, was led by Nadine Blaney and also Scott Phillips from Motley Fool last night. And you really missed out because it was a sensational session. Of course, go onto the platform. You can catch up uh, on that segment. It's all there for you to have a look at. And I would really suggest you uh, have a look at it because uh, earnings season, you've got to understand what you're looking for and try and interpret those figures. And it was such a great session last night that uh, anyone who viewed would have got a lot of value out of. So I thoroughly recommend it. Um, Let's uh, check in with our expert panel for the day. Uh, Andrew Page from Strawman is with us, the online investment club platform. your 550th premium subscriber uh, joined this week. That's a real milestone, Andrew. Well done. Yeah, we're really, really chuffed with the launch. In fact, it's actually about 580 now. So, um, oh. yeah, we've been really, really happy. We're going to hit the ground running. Yeah, go and have a look at it, strawman.com. Uh, and Michael Wayne from Adanium Financial. Michael, great to have you on board. How are you seeing the markets this week? Well, it's sort of getting prepared for the earnings season, as you just touched upon, I think. I wouldn't be surprised to see the markets tread a little bit of water, but that hasn't been the case so far. Uh, It's all sort of all guns blazing at the moment, but I do expect things to slow down a little bit as the number of reports that are coming out start to build. Fingers crossed, uh, you can avoid the bombs out there and and it's a pretty (laughs) exciting time. So we'll be pretty busy. Um, so we look forward to and, the next few weeks. And yeah. the American market, it's earnings season in full swing at the mo- moment, uh, quarterly earnings. Uh, they're holding up pretty well too, aren't they? Yeah, they've been very, very good. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for the US markets to see expectations exceeded time and time again, but they've definitely delivered. It just shows how strong the recovery cycle has been. Um, Companies in the US have been giving some decent guidance as well. 
Um, so I think that does bode well for the outlook for the next three to six months, but you can never get too carried away. Things can come uh, out. No. Field and interest rates and then bond yields and inflation, all those buzzwords are certainly things to keep yeah. an eye on. And as an old bugger like me, I always get nervous going into September. September, October spooked me from all those big crashes in the past when things have been going really well and then the crunch comes and that turns out to be some good buying opportunities. We'll see if that happens again. All right, let's uh, kick off with the stock of the day, a stock that uh, I choose that's in the news I uh, thought we'd take a look at GUD today, uh, nearly tripling its final dividend uh, on uh, year as revenue and profit soared, but in the same breath saying the current environment is too dynamic to provide reliable full-year guidance. Will this be a bit of an insight into uh, earnings season coming up? Will companies squib on any earnings guidance uh, into the future? Use the old, oh, it's too hard to predict with COVID. Um, on the segment, management saying that the water business should improve this year while automotive growth will normalise over time. GUD declaring a final dividend of 32 cents a share, up from the 12 cents a share dividend it paid last year. Andrew, what do you reckon of, of uh, GUD's update and uh, and the stock at the moment? Yeah, look, it's it's a it's a great result when you look at it compared to last year. Although you have to, when you when you take a broader lens to this, you see that it's actually a pretty lumpy business. Um, so it tends to move around quite a lot. So on a per share basis, they're back to where they were in 2019 um, and below where they were in 2018. In fact, they're below where they were back in uh, 2012. So it's sort of been this, you know, and you can see the, the share price chart there sort of shows you uh, what you tend to see with these guys, sort of zoom out a little bit, even over a five-year period, it tends to sort of, it has at least trended pretty sideways. There you go. Um, so one of the interesting things, I haven't had time to fully digest the results, but they talked about cost inflation pressures, supply chain issues pressure. And Kosh, you mentioned before US reporting um, season, That's those were things that were mentioned or have been mentioned quite a bit as well. Um, so something to keep an eye on there. So Look, it's 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 far from a terrible company, but it's not one that uh, you'd probably go for if you're after a nice consistency and visibility and earnings. And management have basically said it's too hard to predict, too dynamic at the moment as well. So, um, all that being said, I think they're on a P of about 17 or so, which in the current market uh, is not too terrible. Uh, I noticed that the brokers and analysts that cover it have forecasts that are calling for sort of mid to upper single digit growth going forward. Um, we know those guys don't have the best track record. None of us do when it comes to forecasting those kinds of things, but it is encouraging. So it's uh, a nice result in context of last year, but zooming out a little bit, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really set the world on fire. Right, uh, Michael. Yeah, look, the numbers came in just very very slightly um, above where they had guided the market a couple of months ago. Um, although the, the tone of management's comments had moderated somewhat from three months ago. Three months ago, they seemed pretty optimistic um, over the next sort of 24 to 36 months about where all parts of the businesses were heading. And they seem to have parred back that language a little bit. And that's probably why you've seen the share price, or at least it was earlier in the day, down a little bit. Um, so look, for mine, it's very, very similar reasons that Andrew's mentioned, very lumpy balance sheet. Um, it's hard to, to get any sort of confidence in the long-term outlook of this company when it hasn't really delivered on that in the past. In saying that, the balance sheet is pretty tidy. 
They do have some ammo up their sleeve if they want to conduct some acquisitions that could propel the next level of growth. But from a long-term standpoint, I would expect you know low to mid single-digit top-line revenue growth over the medium to longer term. Uh, and for that reason, I just think there are better opportunities elsewhere. So it's not really a hold for me either because I, I would sell it and look for other things to, to buy. Yeah, following the announcement, it is down in a market that's slightly up this morning. So uh, uh, I think the market's agreeing with you there. All right, let's uh, check in with the stocks that our viewers want us to take a look at. And uh, Jenny wants a view, um, uh, Michael, on Endeavour Group. Jenny says, how does this uh, stock look for a long-term investor, of course, Endeavour Group, only recently spun out of Woolworths. They hold all of the Woolworths um, uh, hotels, poker machines, liquor chains like BWS and, and Dan Murphy. It was um, basically the reason Woolworths um, um, floated it out was that um, ESG investors wouldn't invest in, in Woolworths because of those elements of the business. So they've flow to them in, uh, into a separate entity. Uh, Michael? Yeah, that's right. So basically Woolworths spun off Endeavour on a one-for-one -one basis. So each share you had in Woolworths, you ended up with one new share in Endeavour. Um, and the early signs have been pretty positive, I think, for shareholders. The combined total valuation of the two companies is now bigger than when it was just Woolworths on its own, with Endeavour sort of incorporated within that Woolworths business. Um, the fact is that the Endeavour drinks part of the business um, makes up about uh, 420 mil um, in terms of the in terms of the valuation, um, whereas the hotels part of the business, which is the pubs and stuff, is about 122 mil. So, so that's that's revenue, not valuation. So yeah. you can see that the BWS, the Dan Murphy's part of the business, is far more dominant than the pubs, um, and that part of the business has been doing very well in lockdown. People stuck at home um, need to get a, a little drink from time to time. And where do they go? They go to Dan <laughs> Murphy's or BWS. So, look, it's um, it's a business that I think long term will sort of tick away and grow sort of in line with population growth. Um, but if you look at the actual per capita consumption numbers, alcohol consumption is actually slow, steady decline in steady decline per person. Um, so I just think that it's not that an exciting a business. Um, the fact is the pubs business as well tends to be a quite a low return on capital business as well. So from my standpoint, um, I would be steering clear. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, so it's um, it's a really strong business. It's a business that's very, very low risk. So if you're, if you're a risk-adverse investor, I think you could do far worse. Um, ESG considerations aside, um, you look at, I mean, that's a really great material when they floated it off um, and having a bit of a rummage through that again to refresh myself this morning. I was just, you know, the, the, the steadiness of that earnings uh, and revenue growth has just been remarkable. Um, but as Michael kind of said, it's it's it, the growth there isn't massive. They're already, I think, 40 percent of the market there. So it's kind of population growth is what you're going to get. It. When you look at the revenue growth historically in that segment, it's been about 3 percent per annum. Uh, a 9% jump in the most recent year with COVID. Uh, so for, for all the obvious reasons, but, but yeah, longer term, that, that's probably the kind of growth you're, you're going to get. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, particularly when, when all the earnings that you make, you're going to pay out, they reckon between 70 and 75%. So I do a bit of maths on, on what they've given us. It's probably an 18 cent dividend, and that's probably about a 3% yield. Add to that maybe some mid-single digit growth 
over time and it adds up to something that's that's very adequate um is it going to shoot the lights out no it's not um are you going to lose your shirt on it no you're, you're definitely not mm-hmm. um so uh i think if in that context if that's the if those a few boxes are ticked for you there i think you could do far worse it's not for me and uh it's largely just for i think there's better opportunities um out there but yeah very strong business very stable and be around forever um People aren't going to stop drinking altogether anytime soon. Uh, it's just a question of where's where's the growth going to come from, and if they do get it, it's not going to be spectacular. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, James uh, wants a view, um, Andrew, on Mervac, the big uh, Australian property development and construction company, um, basically in the whole range of of property, is it from office to retail, industrial residential, um, over 50s, the whole lot, and usually at the higher end of the quality spectrum as well. What do you think of Mervac? Yeah, they've got some pretty good assets. So in terms of their operating profit, their EBITDA, you're looking at about 60% from office and industrial, 12% retail, the the remainder coming from, from residential. So a bit of a spread there. Um, they've had a pretty good history. Um, and again, you've got you to look at this in context. This isn't um, afterpay, of course, but dividends have grown at a rough, rough 5 6% on average over the last uh, five, well, the five years through to 2019. They obviously took a hit with COVID, what with rent relief and, and all the rest of it. Um, but I think if you sort of look through that and I had a quick look at the forecast, that seems to be about the pace that, that uh, the analysts that cover this are sort of looking at. Um, so you know what are you getting a three and a half percent yield there that's that's not terrible i kind of i'd i'd um copy some of the comments i made with endeavor here as well so add add to that five to six percent sort of growth and you're looking at a total shareholder return long term assuming all of those factors continue of upper single digits and that's not terrible for a low risk investment um, not enough for me. One thing to bear in mind with, uh, with this, though, is that uh, Michael mentioned before these buzzwords that we're hearing a lot of lately in terms of inflation, interest rates and the rest of it. This is something that a business like this is particularly uh, exposed to potentially. Um, obviously, there's there's a bit of debt there. So higher interest rates don't don't help them there at all. It also impacts what they call the cap rates as well, which Im- Im- impacts the valuation of the assets that they hold and also it impacts the relative attractiveness of the dividend or distribution yield that they're offering to shareholders as well. So if that is something that's of a bit of a concern to you, that we're entering a higher interest rate environment over the longer term, that's going to be a bit of a headwind to sail into. Um, so when you take all of that, it's just it's not it's not a it's not a bargain by any stretch. Um, so yeah, it's a pass from me. Okay. Michael, how do you rate Mervac? Look, it's a, a high quality company in terms of its stability, um, in terms of its ability to grow uh, into the future. History suggests that it's no easy feat for a company like this. Um, to borrow a phrase from Howard Coleman, it doesn't come across as a wealth winner looking back over time. Um, they get about 50% of their revenue from office rents. Um, office rents over the last five years, particularly in Sydney um, and parts of Melbourne, have been increasing considerably. Um, the concern is whether or not that's going to be sustainable going forward. Um, the, obviously, the retail part of the business has been doing it very, very tough. Um, the housing part of the business has been going along quite nicely. I think they had around 2,200 settlements for the past 12 months at at fairly decent prices and decent margins. So all parts of the business aren't doing well at the same time, but they all got quality assets. It's just how they can grow and deploy new capital into the future. 
Um, and the pipeline doesn't seem as juicy as it has in the past, and that might hinder earnings growth down the track. Um, their leasing book has been pretty much filled. I think they're running at around sort of 97, 98% occupancy rates. Um, that only they only have to renew 6% of their leases next year. So the income certainty is certainly there, which has probably allowed them to maintain the, the dividends that they've been paying out. But again, it's not the most exciting of companies. I don't see where there's going to be a, a tremendous amount of growth coming from. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the share price remain range bound basically as it has over the last five years. So I would focus my attention elsewhere and put a, a sell on this too. Okay. All right. Um, now, a stock that hasn't been range bound over the last couple of months, uh, uh, Michael, is Sydney Airport. Um, it's, um, it's up 50% basically on this time last year. It was up 34% over uh, the last month or so. Why? Because it received a takeover offer from, uh, from um, a consortium of infrastructure investors. Um, they offered $8.25 cash per Sydney Airport share. Uh, Sydney Airport came back and said, no, it's not enough because you're buying us on the cheap when there are no planes flying around. And um, um, basically have, uh, have rejected the takeover offer. So um, at a pretty high price, or big increase, Michael, from... Uh, this time last year, is it worth holding yeah. on to or taking advantage of the, the inflated run? Look, um, this is one that we hold for clients um, as well as Auckland International Airports. They're two businesses we picked up around the middle of last year as a bit of a recovery play. Uh, as it turns out, that those purchases were probably too early in, in terms of the fact that tourism hasn't really recovered or picked up at all. But fortunately for Sydney Airport investors, there was a takeover proposal lobbed onto the table at $8.10 a share. Uh, and that's why you've seen the share price really sort of bounce a lot. Um, the question for, from, from us is whether or not there'll be a, another bid for the company. And we feel as though the chances are there will be another bid at some stage. Um, however, there are a few inhibiting factors, the size of the deal, the fact that foreign ownership can only make up, you know, 49% of Sydney airports. That could limit the number of other bidders that might come to the table. But the fact is Sydney airports is a very high quality monopoly type uh, infrastructure asset that investors were getting an opportunity to pick up at um, multi-year lows, really, going back a, a couple of months now. Mm -hmm. So. From our standpoint, we do think that over time, travel will normalise. It might take a bit of time, but it's certainly looking like maybe the last quarter of this calendar year or the first quarter of next calendar year could be when we see borders start to reopen um, and we should see eventually the numbers and volume start to return to Sydney airports. So from, from our standpoint, we do like Sydney airports. We continue to like it despite the fact that it has jumped up higher because we do think there'll either be a recovery in the business operations or there'll be another takeover proposal lobbed on the table by either the same party or another party down the track. Okay. So would you buy at these levels? Certainly if you're, you're in yes. it from what you're saying, you'd hold, but would would you get in with new money? I would buy this. Um, I would definitely buy this. This and maybe Auckland International Airports as well as a bit of a, a dual play on the, on the airports, but certainly we think that it's an attractive proposition. Okay. All right. Um, Andrew, what do you think? Because if you bought it low, like Sydney Airport, and we've been talking about this for months on, uh, on the call, haven't we? 
sort of reopening travel stocks, Sydney Airport, Auckland, Flight Centre, Webjet, corporate travel. Uh, on the reopening, which keeps getting put back <laughs> months, everyone thought we'd be reopening now. Now Delta's arrived and delayed it again. So if you've been in Sydney Airport and just holding it did nothing, all of a sudden that spiked, would you take some profits on part of your holding and wait for it to come back again? Depends on the kind of investor you are. I mean, I think people, so many investors buy something for a particular reason and then start making sell and hold decisions for entirely different rationale. And so you've got to, you Good have point. to be consistent, you know? So if, if I assume a lot of people look at this and go, well, look, COVID is obviously a, a transitory factor. But by transitory, we're not talking about a one or two month thing. This is a multi-year factor. It'll be 23, 24 before things get back to normal. And we've already seen new variants emerge. And we've seen a lot of countries in a very different situation to where we are. So, so maybe that's even that's optimistic. We don't know. But it's not an unreasonable it's not an unreasonable proposition. Michael's right. This is one of the highest quality assets that you'll find on the ASX. Monopoly asset, um, best infrastructure play you could probably find for for a mile around. Um, so it's absolutely worth something. And and when you have this very very um, a smart consortium of people run the rule over things and say they think it's worth $8.25. And they obviously trying to buy it at what they think is a bit of a discount as well. That tells you something, right? So so what what that means is is that if that's all your rationale for getting in and then there's sort of an unexpected bounce or this happens, I mean you just put that to the side. You could we could in fact we were, I remember because I've been doing this for a long time now, talking about, you know, Sydney Airports 10 years ago. And and look how much things would have bumped over, like you know, moved around over that period of time. But anyone yep. who's held on has done incredibly well, lots and lots and lots of dividends and very very low risk. And I think that's the mindset that you that you need to take here. So there's some really nice. I, I find with all of these things, particularly with an, an asset like this, you can keep it simple. And keeping it simple is probably the best way to go here. So we could probably say. Uh, 20, let's go with FY24 dividends, distributions have, have normalized back to pre-COVID levels. And let's say that at that point in time, you think a 3.5% yield is pretty reasonable. And for something that, you know, a business that's grown its earnings, I think about 9% per annum between 2012 and 2019, you know, that, that's a pretty decent yield. So you can do a bit of maths there and say, well, that, that probably implies a share, a fair tr a share price in 2024 of about 10 bucks, probably one about 10% per annum. That's me. Nope, you've just frozen there, Andrew, with uh, not the prettiest of expression, but we know where you were going, so we might re reconnect you. Uh, while, we're while we're doing that, um, uh, Michael, um, you also like Auckland Airport. Given Sydney Airport's had the big mergers and acquisition boost, um, mm -hmm. is Auckland better value than Sydney Airport? Um, I think Auckland International Airport is a better proposition long term um, because I do think there are more growth drivers at play for Auckland. Because they, they own the, the land there, don't they, to develop it? That's, that's the primary thing. They own the land there. They've also got a stake in the Queenstown Airport, for instance, as well. So there's probably it's probably not as mature a business as, say, Sydney Airport's. Um, and the thing is, though, you're not going to get as much yield in Auckland International Airports as you are in Sydney, but right. you're potentially going to get remunerated from more growth in, in earnings. But um, 
I think both of them are fairly attractive. You did see Auckland International Airports jump off the back of the Sydney Airport's announcements. Um, I don't think that was necessarily justified. I don't think just because there's one party looking at Sydney airports as an acquisition that they're necessarily looking at Auckland International Airport. So you can't necessarily expect one to rub off on the other. But I do think both of them in this environment, um, given the constrained operations they've been facing, they are trading at a bit of a discount from their their all-time highs, both of them. So I do think there is value to be had if you take a longer-term view. Um, So, yeah, that's the, the standpoint that I take. Yeah. All right, we've got Andrew back. Andrew, <laughs> we Sorry. cut you off midstream there. <laughs> Mid rant, I got I got cut off. Um, the bottom the bottom line was I think it's actually probably reasonable at this at this point in time for a long term holder. Okay, all right. So a yes on Sydney Airport from uh, Andrew and Michael. Um, Andrew William wants a view on Meridian Energy. Now this is a a one hundred percent renewable um, uh, electricity uh, generator. Um, using the cross section, what do you think of Meridian? Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's definitely ticks that ESG box, doesn't it? Um, and they've got a pretty good history. But again, um, you, you as an investor, I think you either need to see a little bit of growth, or you need to see if, if there's not much growth, you need to make sure that you're getting a, a reasonable, uh, a reasonable price. So these guys haven't really grown much at all. Uh, the dividend's been flat for about five years or so, giving you a current yield of about three and a half percent. Having a look at some of the forecasts that are out there, it's not likely to increase anytime soon. So definitely got a good story, definitely got a good position, definitely got good assets, but you know, it's it's not it's not going to to shoot the lights out on, on that front. They've also talked recently, they're inviting expressions of interest to build the world's largest green hydrogen facility. So turning a lot of that renewable power into hydrogen, which you can do by just splitting water into its component molecules. And uh, potentially, that is going to be a very big industry going forward. It's also something that's going to cost billions of dollars and many, many years to, to develop. And at a very, very early stage, um, we don't know what, what that market is going to look like as well. So I take all of that together and I think actually it's a reasonable asset. I And this is, this is where you've sort of got to, before you look at the price, sort of ask, given what I know, what kind of and, and things like Sydney Airport and Endeavour and and um, and Meridian, which have very uh, which are very income focused, the valuation becomes a little bit easier. So you can kind of invert it and sort of say, well, for me, if I given where we are with interest rates and what I can get elsewhere, and given the risk profile, I personally, so it's just me, I probably want a four four and a half percent yield on something like this. Now, people can argue the toss as to whether that's good enough or or, or not for them, but for me, that's what it is. And so I can basically take the current dividend, do the maths, and I sort of think for me about $4.50 is, is right. And we're, we're a bit above that at the moment. So for me, right. it's, it's a pass. But if that's the kind of thing you like, whack it on a watch list. The great thing about the market is, is that if you're patient enough, you almost always get a chance at some point. And uh, provided nothing material has changed, um, you'll, you'll find that obviously future returns are, are, are entirely dependent on the price that you pay. Um, you might find that you... The, the proposition becomes a much more attractive one down the track. But right now, yeah, not not for me. Okay. Michael? Um, it's a, a very interesting company, very noble cause, looking to provide um, 100% renewable energy sources using solar, hydro, wind. Um, they're looking to become the world's or the owner of the world's largest green hydro plant, and that's a, an amazing thing if they can pull it off. The question as an investor is, do I want to be a part of the process with this company and take on all the risks associated with that, given the tremendous amount of capital expenditure required 
to pull something like this off. And, and although this is very sort of modern and new forms of energy production, uh, many of the same old issues still remain in my eyes when looking at these energy-based companies or energy-generating companies in that margins tend to be very, very low, return on equities tend to be very, very low, capital expenditure seems to be very, very high, maintenance is very, very high. So from my standpoint, I think it's a, a very difficult area to try and, and eke out a yield. Um, I think that the upside to downside doesn't really um, doesn't really make sense from my standpoint, and I prefer to focus on other sort of newer world industries uh, and more sort of economically friendly. Well, not if that's the wrong way to put it, but businesses with better balance sheets, better economics at play. So interesting business. I hope they succeed, but not one I want to invest in. Okay. All right. Now, Nick, Andrew wants a view on Osco Healthcare. Nick says, Andrew picked this as his life-changing life stock. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when we, we ran that series. Um, I went back and had a look and uh, <laughs> um, it did wonders for the share price over a, a short period of time, your, <laughs> your decision. Uh, it's a micro cap. It's very small, uh, as Andrew explained at the time. It's in healthcare communication solutions. Uh, um, one of its leading products is a nurse call system, which it believes is the most advanced of its kind. Um, it's, it's an interesting issue. We knew and we kept explaining to people when we, in this series of life-changing stocks, that you know they, they could be life-changing, but there's a right price to pay for them. And given the increase in the share price, Andrew, what do you think of OSCO Healthcare now? Yeah, context is really important. So, so what I would say here to Nick, and this is going to sound like a lot of ass covering, and, and perhaps there's, there's there's some truth to that as well. Um, the the brief here is life changing, right? So, kind of, well, that's a that's a that's a fun game. Let's let's go something pretty small with very big upside potential uh, at a very early stage of its journey. Um, but the flips, I mean, you know, there's no free lunch in investing. That the cost of that is that it's also commensurately higher in terms of its risk. So Sydney Airport, Endeavour, you know, Meridian Energy are never going to have the upside potential that Ostco does. But at the same time, you're never going to lose your shirt on these businesses. So yeah. that's the compromise here. So I please yeah. don't want any angry letters from which, Nick. Which, you, which you explained at the time. Uh, yeah, and we yeah. did and we did constantly. It was a bit of fun to uh, just see, see, see a crystal ball and uh, all of these stocks that were recommended at the time may only have a 10% chance of succeeding. But, you know, if they did and were part of a portfolio, you know, it's, it's interesting. That, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head there too. This is this, is this basket approach. You've got, to, you've got to put your private equity hat on and pretend or your venture capitalist hat on and pretend yeah. that, you know, that that's how you're going to play this. You'll, put, you'll put, make 10 investments, Eight of them won't work out, and two of them will go to the moon. You know yep. that, and that's that's how you have to kind of play it now. So that doesn't mean that you put all of your money in Osco because Andrew said it did, and there was a short-term spike on on the market. So with all of that out of the way, um, I actually do think it's a very interesting company. These guys were formerly called Azure. Uh, they do this nurse call system. They've had a bit of a checkered past, to be honest, but they've got a new CEO. They're transitioning their business a little bit away from manufacturing, focusing more on the higher margin kind of stuff. They've um, they've had a, some of their results have been I mean, not very encouraging over COVID because they couldn't get in to install 
um, some of the some of the um, con contract wins that they've had. But in the meantime, in the background, they've continued to win a lot of work. In fact, there's a record order book. And then not long after that, we had this bit, very large Singaporean hospital uh, uh, give them a contract, such a big contract, in fact, that it counted for about it will account for about 10 percent uh, of their revenue. And this hospital is part of a much bigger network in Singapore as well, which has an excellent healthcare system, by the way. So it, it, it looks like it's got a real, real kind of potential. It's also the kind of business that if it does deliver on its expectations, it's not. And I've learned this the hard way. Right. You don't you know whether if, if they they get even close to some of their aspirations, whether you pay 15 cents, 20 cents, 12 cents, you know, it's all about right. You know, you're really buying this with the hope that in five years time, it's 50 cents a share uh, or, or something of that kind of magnitude. So you don't want to nickel and dime it. You don't want to be too clever with with um, with your valuation. But what you do want to do, the thing that you really need to keep a laser like focus on here is not the share price, because as you can see there, it's hyper illiquid, hyper volatile uh, on percentage on a percentage basis. Those moves are far more exaggerated, of course. But what I really want to look for here is that they actually continue to see some good contract wins, some good installations that they manage to scale well. That's the thing that you really need to focus on. And if they can continue to do that, then, I, yeah, I think this has got good potential at 16 cents. Yeah, it's 16 yep. cents. Absolutely. Yep. Michael? Um, after Andrew mentioned it last time, went away, had a bit of a look at it as you do. Um, it's obviously a very small, illiquid company, making it very difficult for us to ever get clients into it and then get them out of it. Um, but $3 million profit, so they've got no debt, uh, about $6 million in cash, um, high inside ownership. They're all definitely traits that you like um, about businesses. Uh, about 40%, I think, of their revenue is recurring in nature. Revenue has been a bit lumpy over the last five years and hasn't really grown over that time frame. Um, and the market has been sort of fooled by this company before when they had a, a spate of new contract wins, earnings really sort of ramped up, but then basically they weren't able to keep replenishing the, the well, so to speak. So essentially all those contract wins started to taper off and there was no new earnings to come through and support the expectation that it started to be embedded into the share price. Fingers crossed this time around, it's different. Um, they've been winning some some great contracts, most recently one in early July. I think that was the one that Andrew was touching upon in Singapore. Um, so there, there is definitely a lot to like about this company, um, but I'll give it a, a speculative buy for, for that reason. Okay. All right. Let's just uh, recap the first five stocks. GUD, a hold from Michael, a no from Andrew. Endeavour Group, a no from both Murbeck and no. Uh, Sydney Airport, um, a yes, Michael also likes Auckland, uh, Meridian and O and Osco Health, a speculative buy. Um, here on the call, uh, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NabTrade. All the stocks that get two thumbs up um, uh, from our expert panel goes into the portfolio today, Sydney Airport, Osco Health. Um, let's check how it's been performing for the week, up 1.5% for the month, 2%. And year to date, since the 1st of July, 1st of last month, 2.5%. Um, some of the stocks recently added, Appen, Monash, IBF, Steadfast, Goodman and Rio Tinto. Some of the stocks removed, Evolution Mining, Premium and McMahon. And if you want to see... All the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Move into our second five stocks, uh, 
Michael, Adele wants a view on Dampstra Holdings. It's a, a workplace management solutions uh, uh, business, a software business. Um, what do you think of Dampstra? Yeah, I must admit it wasn't one I was too familiar with at all in the past. I'd heard the name, didn't know what they, they did. But essentially, they've got about 725 clients around the world, over 400,000 users of this platform. Um, and essentially, it's focused, or this platform and, and this um, solution is focused on industries that have or need to have a really high compliance with safety and really focus on safety as a high priority. So it helps with things like um, tracking different equipment within a, a business or tracking staff via uh, fingertip identification or iris identification, things like that. So it's quite a, an interesting business. Um, a lot of their clients are in the mining space, Glencore, New got Newmont Gold, for instance, Evolution Mining that you just touched upon, Borrell, the MBN. So it seems to be quite a, an interesting business in a industry that seems to be growing um, and a lot of big large clients for, for whatever reason the share price has been unloved somewhat um, and i'll have to go away and start to read the annual reports from previous years etc to get a an idea of why that's occurring because all the headline figures look and appear to be pretty pretty good um, they're getting new businesses on board they're getting more and more users but for whatever reason the share price isn't responding in kind um, as you can see, it's a fairly recent listing as well. So I'll need to do a lot more work before I, I gave it a buy, but certainly does seem to be a, an interesting company in a boom sector. Okay, Andrew? Yeah, I agree with Michael. It wasn't one I was familiar with, but I'm definitely gonna do some more homework on. Um, so their, their recent quarterly was encouraging, positive operating cash flow, um, negative pre-cash flow, it should be said, but uh, yeah, still an, Still a business that, that seems to be um, displaying the, the kind of charts that you like for a technology business, you know, strong growth, bottom left to top right in a, in a pretty steep fashion here. So whether it's number of uh, clients or whether it's your annual recurring revenue or anything like that, it's all moving in the right direction. So record quarterly revenue most recently of $9 million, that was 75% up from last year. Uh, as you'd expect for a business like this, pretty strong operating margins of about 30%, which is really nice. They've got 27% more customers than they had at the same time last year. They had a, an acquisition of Vault Technologies recently and hoping to squeeze about $4 million of synergies out of that. Well, they actually got about 6.1, which that's, that's pretty uncommon. That, that was pretty nice. Churn <laughs> is less than 1%. So it's, it's ticking all of these boxes. Um, where the due diligence um, will need to be spent, uh, to my mind, is trying to get a, an understanding of the competitive landscape and competitive advantages. It's not just a single, they're looking at their product set. It's very diverse. It all sort of feeds back to this sort of one uh, enterprise uh, uh, database platform. But there's there's a lot of things that feed into that. So Michael gave us some great examples before, but they were actually able to pivot quite quickly last year. And they've got um, those facial scanners. In fact, what, what you guys have at um, Branguru there, where it sort of looks at your face mm. and checks your temperature as, as you walk in, they're, they're doing that kind of stuff too. So that's a very diverse product set. Uh, how does that compare against other offerings in the market? Where's your competitive edge there? At a high level, you get a very strong encouragement that just that either the industry itself is growing so broadly that there's a lot of winners there or that, or that it, it does signal that they've got a bit of an edge on, on other offerings that are out there. But it does look very interesting. Um, I, I would need to dive into it a lot more. As Michael said, be mindful of that very, very low liquidity. It means it's going to be pretty volatile. This is a complete guess. But if, looking at that share price before, you've seen a, a listing 
a massive run up and then a big fall down. I suspect what you've seen here is a business that's got a very good story to tell. A bunch of retail investors, maybe on a bunch of Reddit forums, got very excited about this and were just buying at any price because YOLO, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a yep. sexy tech stock and the share price is going up, so you buy. And then when that, when that starts to turn, it sort of falls away again. So for any sort of sensible longer-term investors, this might actually be a good opportunity. But the due diligence needs to be done. So I, I, I would say, a, a, what do I say for that? A, a, a curious buy, a speculative yeah, yeah. buy that we need to do more work. <laughs> or, a, or a hold and do more work. That's better. That's okay. Better. All right. Yeah. Um, Andrew, what do you think of uh, Clean Away Waste Management uh, from Annabelle Wants a View? Annabelle says, from my research, this stock is up an impressive 199% over the last five years. What's the uh, expert's opinion? It's in uh, waste management, residential, industrial, recycling. Uh, I once was talking to the MD of Clean Away and he said it is just getting those bins as quickly into the, into the trucks as possible. And that's where the money, every time a bin goes in, that's more money. <laughs> yep. And they've got about 5,000 of those trucks doing that. And they're doing it, I think, across about 100 different municipalities yep. as well. But yeah, they've got landfill, they've got recycling, they've even got power generation. So you can sort of tap into the gas at some of these landfill sites and generate power off that. And I forget how many megawatts, but yeah, they're making power out of this. So vertically integrated is, is uh, how it's described here. Um, it's also it's a it's a business that um, has a pretty strong competitive position because you and I might have a couple lazy billion dollars to go set up set up shop and compete, but it's hard to find landfill sites. Uh, it's a lot of equipment to buy. It's a lot of contracts to win off local councils and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and and the the actual fundamental financial performance has been pretty good as well. So the per share earnings have grown at about a seven percent uh, compound annual growth rate over the last four years. So altogether. That's a 40% growth in, in per share profits. Now, as Annabelle rightly points out, it's like, well, at the same time, shares have gone up 200%. So what that says to you, although the business is earning 40% more than it was five years ago, the multiple has expanded. And that's great. That's really nice when you see that as a shareholder. But it is it is something that, that reverts to the mean. Earnings can keep on growing, in theory. Multiples can't keep stretching forever. Um, uh, although, you know, maybe maybe you could argue otherwise for some of the bigger known tech companies out there in recent years. But, you know, in 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 on in general, that's that is pretty true. So so I would say that um, while that's really great, I would not extrapolate that share price chart forward at that rate because you either need to see a massive acceleration in the rate of earnings growth. And for a company of this size, given what they do, it's just not it's not likely to ever happen. Again, it's sort of mid to upper single digit growth. That's that's sort of the best case scenario. And that's fine, by the way. That's but that's about as good as it's going to get. You're not going to get the PE going from 15 to 30 again. That's the thing that's you're not going to repeat. Or it's not going to go from 30 where it is at the moment to 60. Uh, unless we all lose our collective minds, which is, I guess, is possible. So, so, <laughs> so for me, it's, uh, it's, it's. Uh, I would, I would say a hold if you've still yep. got it, um, but I wouldn't be buying um, if I didn't hold any. Right. Michael, um, this is actually one we held going back a couple of years. Haven't held it now for a couple of years, and, and did quite well off it. Um, it's very, very dominant in the space. The largest um, company of its type, really, in the industry in Australia. But where once upon a time people were just concerned about the collection of the waste and that was it. These days there's a big focus on recycling. 
So there's a shift away from landfill to recycling, recovering and processing projects. Uh, and the fact is that the fact is that um, that could have a pretty negative impact on the mix of the business in terms of margins, etc. Because it's a lot easier to just pick rubbish up and put it in landfill than it is to pick it up, process it, <coughs> extract recyclables, and then sell those recyclable elements on. So from our standpoint, although revenues continue to grow, um, there's been a number of acquisitions such as the sewers, uh, Sydney recycling business, that's the most recent one. That seems to have been a benefit to margins and earnings. But broadly speaking, looking at the business, we've seen revenue continue to grow, but margins have stagnated, um, earnings growth stagnated, and the return on equity of the business is quite low. So in that situation, we just find that it's it's mm. best to knock it on the head, lock in the profits, and then try and recycle those investments, to pardon the pun, um, into other areas of the market. So not a bad quality company, but I'll be looking to sell and look for other investments in other okay. sectors All with right. better balance sheets and better margins, etc. All right. Uh, from a big company, let's go to the other end of the scale. And uh, Keen, Andrew, wants a view on Engage BDR. Keen says it's a programmatic advertising platform handling the demand side and the supplier side. Bigger names in the US are the Trade Desk and Magnite. I'd like a view on this stock. Uh, what does Andrew think about um, it? A micro cap? It is a micro cap. Um, Keen, I, I'm not familiar with it. I did have a bit of a look. So um, they they like to, like a lot of companies, they like to use much bigger words than is necessary to really <laughs> convey exactly what you do. You know, prog programmatic advertising platform handling demand and supply side elements. Put that in plain English, which is what you need to do, is they connect people who own websites with people who want to advertise on websites. Uh, um, and that's that's a great business, by the way. Um, but the thing that the thing that I would really want to try and understand, and maybe this is something you need to sort of speak to management uh, with to 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 get some some clearer insight, is that how do you compete with Google? Because um, you know, that's kind of what they do. Um, uh, and and when you look at the, the business performance, it's loss making still. The revenue hasn't really moved. It's been a bit lumpy, but it just it hasn't really moved in the last few years. They're burning through about $1.4 million in cash in the last six months, and they've got about $1.4 million in cash left. So I dare say there's a uh, there's a capital raising uh, on, the, on the cards there as well. Um, so it's just what you would need to do, and I, I don't have the answer, is, is to understand where is your edge? How does this tiny, tiny, tiny Aussie microcap compete against some of the biggest names in the world? When you're talking about an internet business here, you literally, you are competing against the biggest names that are out there. So unless you've got some secret source there that others are unable or unwilling to to replicate, it, it to me, it seems like you're really sailing into the wind for this one. So um, not for me, but I do acknowledge that there might be something that I'm missing here, but it, it looks pretty rough. Um, and Claudia, uh, bring back that five-year chart uh, for a sec, because uh, Michael, this this is often what happens is is companies, as you say, a couple of years ago listed on the market, great story, uh, great future, got up to twenty-six cents, and then the market's looking for companies like this to actually deliver on their promises, deliver on the future that they forecast. And by the look of that share price, maybe investors are saying, well, you haven't delivered. Well, that's, that's about right. Um, but if you look at the balance sheet, 
it really does reflect that story in the chart. Um, if you look at the sales per share, it's been in decline each of the four years that it's been listed. Started off at about nine cents per share, then down to four cents, then to three, then to one. Uh, you look at the cash flow, it's been negative every year. Revenue threatened to pick up, but it's been pretty lumpy up one year, down the next. Um, and the profits have been getting sort of or as, as bad pretty much year after year. So this company is, is burning through cash. It's making a loss. It's not really growing revenue that quickly. It's hard to get too excited about the company. Um, you don't even really need to know about the story. If you're looking at those numbers, it, it's it's very difficult to, to get excited. So um, listening to what Andrew's had to say about the competition as well, it's a very valid point. How is a small startup company like this expected to succeed against the big guns when it doesn't have the, the, the cash generation or the access to capital to boost its growth by that much? So for mine, that's a, a clear avoid. And so hard once you've disappointed the market the big thing is convincing them to come back just gets harder and harder, doesn't it? If you haven't delivered, the market's going to go, there are easier opportunities for us uh, elsewhere who are going to keep delivering. So it's a really uphill battle. Well, um, it actually doesn't matter too much if, if, if you're self, self-sustaining. self You've got the cash flows. That, I mean, who cares what the market thinks to some degree? Yeah. Where it becomes vitally important is when you are cash flow free cash flow negative and you are reliant on the market as a source of capital. One other thing I'll just quickly point out, I just had a look on my, my brokering account. One trade has been executed so far in the session today worth $1,000. Right. So it's going to be really tough, yeah. really tough to buy and sell this one. To get uh, either get in or out. Um, all right, let's go to the other end of the, uh, the extreme, the world's biggest media company. Uh, Alexis wants to view Michael on News Corp. Uh, of course, not only the News Corp newspapers, but also Foxtel here in Australia owns the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones in uh, the United States um, and also extensive media operations in television and print and online uh, in Europe as well. Uh, Michael, what do you think of News Corp? Yeah, and for all those things, it's probably their investment in realestate.com, which is the, the most valuable and been the most successful. Um, and, and there is a school of thought that looking at the composition of News Corp's valuation, um, you are pretty much getting access to REA shares for a big heavy discount than what you can buy REA shares on the market. But um, look, it's, it's obviously a, a high quality media investment company. Um, you get access to a diversified suite of different media assets. Some of them are doing better than others. REA is probably doing a lot better than say Foxtel is in this current environment. Um, it's just how well management can convince advertisers that their viewership uh, is, is worth advertising to in the day and age where digital platforms um, and the digital arena is just so, so competitive. So from my standpoint, I just think it's a very challenging space to, to have success in these days. Um, so again, I probably wouldn't invest in it. But the management team are making changes to the way their business operates. They acquired a business just the other day, which is involved in the energy and commodity markets when it comes to sort of providing data and information and pricing, et cetera. So that's a, an area which has recurring revenue, it's got a big subscribership um, and growing quite quickly. So they've obviously thought that they can use their balance sheet to drive some growth by acquiring that. But by and large, I just think it's a very mature industry that which remains in structural decline. Um, it will be challenging to try and pivot 
away from those traditional media platforms and sources of revenue to a more digitized future. But it's not against it's not against the realms of possibility for someone like News Corp to pull that off. So yep. probably have it as a as a hold. Okay, Andrew. Yeah, Michael's nailed it. it. Just some big structural um, challenges for them. I mean, they've got they've got the um, competitive position, balance sheet, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff to successfully navigate that. But that that's far from certain. Um, revenues on average, you add everything together, it's been about three percent or so growth. So it's it's not spectacular. The PE is on sixty. I'm sure there's more to the story there that that I'm missing there. Maybe that's been been impacted by some non-cash items or something, but seems pretty expensive for the rate of growth and, and the challenges they're facing. And ESG is becoming more and more of a thing. I think every show we've done recently, we've, mm. we've mentioned it. And this is a personal thing, but for me, I, I don't like them. I don't like what they do. I don't like what they stand for. I think some of their, some of their uh, mastheads are, uh, are not good for humanity, and that's just me. Please don't send me any nasty letters. So I'm not going to go near them. I, okay. I, I don't like them. All right. Okay, um, our final stock, uh, Rob wants a view, Andrew, on Remelius Resources, the gold mining company. Their biggest asset is the Mount Magnet gold mine, but has a few other projects in Australia and the US. Yeah, I'll keep it short because we're running out of time. As people who know me know that I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not just generally not a fan of mining for various reasons, but credit where it's due, profitable business. Uh, strong balance sheet. They've got about $230 million when you add all their, their cash and gold uh, together. So they're, they're really well positioned there. They've had this lovely confluence of uh, increasing gold production at a time where their, their, their sale price for gold has increased as well. So that's that's a lovely sort of leverage growth that they've been getting. Seems like they've got pretty decent reserves, so they'll last them for a little while. But again, you have to you have to have a pretty strong view on what the price of gold is going to be, and that's that's always the hard thing. So uh, it's not it's just not a sector I like, so it's a pass for me. But if you did like gold, I think you could probably do a lot worse than this. Um, Michael, how do you rate this as a gold stock? Yeah, we don't mind gold overall. I mean, we've got Northern Star um, and Evolution, which have been under a bit of pressure recently. But if you do start to see inflation take off, there's a possibility that gold could do quite well. But at these gold prices. Um, and given the cost of production of many of these gold mines, they're making and printing a lot of free cash flow at the moment. So they're pretty attractive for that reason alone. Um, Romelius has cost of production at around 1300 Aussie an ounce, which is slightly higher than sort of Northern Star and Evolution. So it's a, a higher cost producer. Um, their mine life goes out to about 2028. At the moment, they're producing about 280,000 um, tons of gold, oh, sorry, ounces of gold a year. Um, so the expectation is they'll replicate that again this year. So, look, our, our preference is for others, but you could do worse than Romelius. Okay. All right. Uh, but you, you'd go others like your Northern Stars? and Yeah, because, because Romelius's costs of production are high, your room for error is lower. If the gold price does come back, Romelius will get hit a lot harder than, say, an Evolution Mining or a Northern Star, in theory, at least. Okay. All right, gents, thank you for that. Michael Wayne from Medallion, always great to have you on board likewise. Uh, Andrew Page from Strawman, um, really appreciate your time. Good thank you, guys. Thanks, Koshi. Uh, let's recap the final five stocks. Uh, Damstrub, uh, a company that the guys hadn't come across, have looked at it, have found it quite interesting. Both have got it as a hold, but are going to do more work on it. Uh, and it's certainly on their watch list. Uh, clean away a hold from uh, Andrew, a no from Michael, engage a no from both. News Corp, a hold from Michael, a no from Andrew, and Remedius, a no 
from both of them. Sydney Airport and Osco Health Care go into the uh, calls portfolio out of today's session. Uh, if you want to take a um, send us in any suggestions for stocks to have a look at, uh, put them in an email to us, thecall at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at Ausbiz TV handle. Uh, all the stocks in the calls fantasy portfolio head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Um, if you want to keep up to date with what's been happening in the world of startups, business, markets, at the end of the day, this is your, your catch-up mode. Uh, subscribe to the Ausbiz newsletter. You get Scuddy's view. You get links to all of uh, the most popular videos and interviews during the day. Also, to the Close of Business podcast, subscribe, osbiz.co forward slash the COB. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.